Once I was straying in sin's dark valley, no hope within could I see. They searched through heaven and found a Savior to save a poor lost soul like mine. Oh, what a Savior! Oh, hallelujah! His heart was broken on Calvary. His hands were nailed, scarred. His side was Again, I was very encouraged. We had a great time again last night. It was just great. Um, boy, the weather was so wonderful. And um, there we go. I think that ought to do it. We'll see in a second. But uh, the weather was so nice. I don't know if the weather's going to be that nice tomorrow night or not. I'm not sure. But uh, we'll see. Hopefully it is. All right. Is it? Should it be working by now? Okay. There we go. 
how am I supposed to know that, right? Some of you knew that, right? Smarty pants. I don't know these things. I'm living back in the 1980s. Yeah. All right, here we go. We'll see what we can do here, okay? I think I'll leave this here for now. All right, let's go ahead and take our Bibles, turn to the book of Genesis. And as you can see, we're in our Bible Truth series. It's a Wednesday night series. A tremendous graphic there. I'm looking at my graphic gal over there, and she's not happy. She's like, hey, preacher, anytime you got a graphic, just let me know. I'll do it. I said, yeah, but I do such a fine job. And she's like, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I mean, when you go to school to do that stuff and you're a professional, of course you're better at it than me. But I don't know. Every once in a while I like to try my hand at it. I'm sure that she's really picking apart that thing called standing firm in the midst there. She's like, wow, that looks really stupid, preacher. And, uh, but I thought it fit perfect right there, you know what I mean? I thought it looked good. But anyway, we're doing the best we can, okay? So anyway, maybe she'll do something a little better for me here for next week. You'll go, wow, that looks really good. It will if she does it. All right, so anyway, our Bible Truth series, and I want to talk to you today a little bit, and it's just a little bit different tonight. I'm not really going to preach at you. I want to teach some things. But in the beginning, the Bible says God created the heaven and the earth. Genesis chapter 1. Let's look there, Genesis 1.1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Genesis chapter 1. What did I tell you? Did I tell you something else? I heard a lot of pages going. I thought maybe I already gave you the wrong place. All right? Genesis, first book of the Bible. (laughs) I know you know that already, don't you? All right, go ahead. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And uh, we're going to take a few moments today, and we're going to look at God's creation and just real quickly kind of run through that. And then if we have time, I'm going to focus our attention on day six. Of course, he, you know, we're going to see day six with some animals and man being created, and then we'll look at day seven uh, eventually as well. So um, we want to look at just some things as we move along. And again, we've been looking at all kinds of things in our series uh, we talked about uh, the, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, the rapture, the revelation. We talked about uh, just uh, how the prophets saw things versus, you know, how we now see it today, how they missed completely Christ as a priest and that kind of thing, his priestly role. And so we're just kind of moving along in our series and just it's just kind of like Bible truths, as we said already, trying to understand some things along the way. So in the beginning, God created the heaven and earth. I'm glad that we have a creator and his name is God, and uh, he, he actually exists, okay? He's, he's real, and uh, he created all things, and so we're going to take a few moments and look at that creation tonight. Father, bless us in these next few minutes. Be glorified in it. We'll thank you. We'll praise you for it all. Now, again, Lord, we need you today, and we're asking you, Father, just to work and move. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so we see that there's a number of days of creation, and so we're going to kind of break that down a little bit. Days of creation in Genesis chapter 1. And so right off the bat, we move to day number 1. Now take your Bible. You're there already, but look at verse 3. The Bible says, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. We're going to see that God's going to create this whole element here. The the slide says earth and space, and it's talking about Genesis 1-1 really, but time and light. And so we're going to note a couple of things about that very, very quickly. This is very controversial, not so much controversial in that did it happen, but in exactly what does it mean happened. People have been for thousands of years trying to figure out exactly what's going on with Genesis chapter 1, verse 3 on the first day and then the fourth day. And so there's a kind of a, kind of like, well, what's really going on? Can I be honest with you? I don't know 100%. I really don't know. Uh, I'll give you just a, a real basic thought here in just a moment. But honestly, I don't know exactly what went down because you know why? I wasn't there. And he doesn't describe it, nor does he explain it very much in detail. There are a number of things in God's word that we take by faith. There are a number of things that we look at and we say, well, it's not exactly spelled out, but yet we know based on what we see around us that there's a reason for everything God does. And so there's got to be a reason for all of this as well. And we'll note some of this because some of you are going, what are you talking about? Well, you'll recognize it as soon as we get there and you'll go, wait a second, didn't we already see that happen? And then I'll go, see, I told you so. 
and you can join the rest of the multitude who have been perplexed for ages over this, okay? And uh, you'll be just like every Bible scholar, still trying to figure it out. And there are some things that we're still trying to figure out, and we won't know till we get to heaven. And you know what? If that's going to shake your faith, then my friend, I'm going to tell you something. You might as well get it shaken now and be done with it. But the truth is, there's going to be things you don't understand and that I don't understand about this book. But that doesn't mean it's not true, and that doesn't mean God's not real and that he doesn't exist. That's not the case at all. I don't know how in the world he'd raise Lazarus from the dead, but he did. There's so many things. I mean, I can't even imagine back there in Joshua's day, 120-pound uh, uh, blocks of ice falling out of heaven and destroying the enemy. I don't get that. How in the world do you have hail that weighs one talent? I don't get that, but yet the Bible says it happened. I don't understand how the Bible even says that the, uh, he, he, he stopped the sun and caused it to go backwards and then forward eventually. How's that all happen? I don't know. That's God. He can do anything. Nothing's impossible for him. That's the takeaway I have from it. But nonetheless, continue. Let's look at verse 3. And he says there again, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. Now, I think it's important to draw attention to that last phrase. And the evening and the morning were the first day. We start talking about light. Now, I've read a number of things about this issue, but when it's talking about day number one, many people, uh, maybe, I say many, but maybe just a, I don't know how many, of course, uh, but, but I've read in a number of places where they say, well, this was likely kind of like electrical light. It was similar to maybe the Aurora, uh, Aurora, Aurora Borealis. There you go, okay? Or the northern lights. Have you ever seen, you know, those kind of, that's electric field or something, and it creates these wonderful, beautiful-looking lights. Some have said that. I, I know this. I don't know exactly what he's talking about specifically because he hasn't created the sun yet, okay? The sun's not in vogue here. We know that uh, the sun helps us with night and day, as we'll see in day four. But what we're going to see here is that, is that this, this is cosmic light. It's not solar light. It's a little bit different. And again, why in the world does he do this? I mean, I think it's partly because he wants a temporary light source. I'm not so sure that that light source that he created in day one is the light source in which you and I even worry or are concerned about in the least. That it was there for a purpose. And one of those purposes that it was there is to distinguish the night from the day so that he could point out that creation was a 24-hour period, six of those 24, and then seven 24-hour periods. You understand? So if he wouldn't have made light, uh, light, then he wouldn't have been able to call one day and one, uh, one night. You get what I'm saying? And therefore, he couldn't distinguish. He, then you get into day-age theories and all this kind of stuff for creation, where people say, well, a day in the Bible actually equals an age. And so that's where the dinosaurs come from, preacher, because a, a, a day is an age. It's not just a 24-hour period. It may last for hundreds of thousands or millions of years. And some people believe that. But the Bible teaches that it's a 24-hour period. Why do we know that? Because the Bible simply said, and the morning, uh, the evening and the morning were the first day. Now, that wouldn't have been possible if you hadn't created some source of light that would have distinguished between the night and day. Okay, now whether or not that source of light is at present today or not, I can't say for sure because I know the light that I do see, and it's called the sun. Okay, one day we'll have a light source, and it won't be the sun, it'll be Jesus Christ the sun. You figure it out, I don't know. So just kind of interesting stuff there, I don't know, it doesn't bother me, I don't know why, but my feet are still pretty solid on my faith. Because I know what God said, and he did it. And man, it's a wonderful thing to know a God that's able to not only talk the talk, but walk the talk. Now we move on here, let's go ahead and go to the next one. We see day two, and again, I said, we're not going to spend a lot of time. We're just kind of fly through some of these, but look at verse six. We're going to start there, and then we're going to read through verse eight. But notice he says, and God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. So you got these uh, 
waters. Of course, the earth is submerged in water. Now you've got these, uh, uh, this firmament in the sky, okay? So you've got this band of water around the earth. So you've got the earth, you've got atmosphere, you've got water, and you've got the, the, the atmosphere or the, the, what we would call outer space now. So we have God create the heaven, and now we're watching as he's creating the heavens. He's creating these other little areas or pockets of space. And so we're, we're seeing that all come together here a little bit. He goes on to saying, God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. So now a 24-hour period, and now all of a sudden, the earth is no longer just submerged in water. Now we have, we have uh, the earth, and we've got uh, a, a space, and we've got a, a circumference of water around the earth, and then we have uh, up there the, the outer space as well. Now here's the thing. When the flood hit, it's believed that that firmament of water crashed down on earth. As water came up out of the earth, the water went down in on top of the earth as well. That's why it was so fast. 40 days, 40 nights, covered every single mountain in the entire earth. Not just a geographical area, but the entire globe was literally underwater. I don't understand how that happens, but you know you got all this. You got... You got uh, um, the earth spinning, you know, and of course it creates gravity and gravity holds the water up against the globe, if you will. And so literally the highest mountain covered in water. And uh, we don't have that firmament anymore that they had. It's not there anymore. Okay. After the flood, it doesn't exist the way it did there. It's not quite the same. And so anyway, we, we note that taking place here, this, uh, these firmaments being created. And yet uh, we do have a firmament. Uh, well, we're not going to go into all that. Okay, so then we go to day three. So we have basically time and light. We've got the atmosphere. And now we're going to see that dry land and plants start to appear. Look at Genesis 1.9. God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. So now we have land literally being, we got our oceans and different things like that taking place. And of course, we know that Neanderthal man walked across the continents because they were all connected then. Well, isn't that what we learned in school? But anyway, uh, so anyway, that we, well, whatever. Okay, so, okay, Adam, he walked across the world. Okay, so anyway. Genesis 1-9, and God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And it goes on to say in verse 10, and God called the dry land earth, and he gathered together of the waters called he seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth bring forth grass and herb yielding seed and the fruit tree yielding fruit under his kind, after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. Now, now we, we see plant life taking place as well. So we got dry land now. Literally, our earth's starting to take shape. It's really looking a lot like we're going to have it now. And plant life is starting to just to, to, to start to just take off now. That's pretty good stuff. Okay, so that's, that's great. So then we move to day four. And now we're going to see the sun, the moon, and the stars come into existence. Okay, and this is where I said it gets get a little tricky. And notice in verse 14, he goes on to say here, and God said, let there be lights in the firmament and the heaven uh, to, uh, excuse me, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. Um, we have our sun and of course we know that it rises and then it uh, falls, so to speak. And again, we know it's based on the rotation of the earth in relationship to the sun. We understand all that now. But uh, it, it, as that sun rises and falls, you have day and night. You have seasons as a result of the sun and the distance from earth and all of those things. And that's all a direct result of what God's creating here now. And again, he goes on to say, And let them be for lights in the firmament, verse 15 of the heaven, to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. Now, he goes on to say, and God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the fourth day. So here we're consistent again, evening and morning, evening and morning, evening and morning. Some don't want to believe that those are 24-hour days. I tend to believe that's the case. Some don't want to believe that revelation is literal. I tend to believe it is. I just believe the Bible says what it says and means what it says. 
And I, I think sometimes, you know, if by doing that, we have to limit God. And really why people don't believe that a day is a day in the Bible, at least in the 24-hour sense in creation, is simply because they're looking at science and saying, well, science is saying it's impossible, so I have to align myself with science or I'll look like a, baf- a buffoon. And I don't want anybody to think I'm crazy or I'm a lunatic or I'm uh, not, not with it. So I'm going to go ahead and somehow try to rectify the biblical account or try to, to um, reconcile the biblical account with science. Honestly, the, God was around long before science, and the best science book you'll ever read in, your, your, in the world is the Bible. It's the best science book you'll ever read. It really is. Uh, I don't discount science and some of the things they do, but the fact is, is that I'll take the Bible over a scientist any day of the week. It's interesting that even back in Christopher Columbus's day, some of the people thought that the earth was still flat, but the Bible taught long before that that it wasn't. I'm just saying there's so many aspects here where God's word is so true and it's, it's, it's so revealing, and yet so many times because we're so pagan and we don't really care about what the Bible says, we let our own intellect and our own ability define and decide what truth is. And unfortunately, science is not a good determination of truth. If you have to observe it, then that's not faith. And yet God's about faith, but then that faith comes great power and understanding and insight. Now, the uh, day four. So we have uh, this, these lights taking place. Now, remember I said in, in day one, he's created light already, and he's even created day and night. But now we see him talking about the sun that's creating day and night again. Well, what in the world's going on there? And that's why I said it's a little tricky. And as you look at that, you've got to ask yourself, why would he do that? Not just what did he do? And I believe that one of the reasons he did it was to distinguish night and day so that he could honestly present us with a 24-hour day and ensure that we did not go off the deep end with this theistic evolution or this, this day-age theory or all this other junk that's going on around us. So nonetheless, um, we move along here. Day five. So day five. Now we're going to see uh, a number of creatures created. In uh, chapter 1, verse 20, <clears throat> he says, And God said, Let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life, and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. And God created great whales and every living creature that moveth. I, I always thought that was interesting that he emphasizes or that he specifically addresses great whales. Isn't that something? I don't know. I mean, is that great versus not great? I, I'm not sure exactly. But, uh, you know, but what I do think is, is that, that that whale that swallowed Jonah, probably a great whale. God created whales, and so he probably directed that whale right there where Jonah was going to jump, and boom, he found himself right in the belly of one. So nonetheless, uh, we, we go ahead and we note again in verse, uh, <clears throat> let's see, um, twenty. One, and God created great whales and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good, and God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let uh, fowl multiply in the earth. And the evening and the morning were the fifth day. I think we're going to note, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on it this very moment, but it's interesting, it's after their kind, and after their kind, and after their kind. I think that's important when you look at this idea of creation. And we'll see that again when it comes to land animals as well. And uh, we'll, we'll maybe make a little bit of an application there. Now, <clears throat> let's go ahead now and, and look at verse uh, uh, 24 as we look at the day six. And now we're getting to where we're going to get the creation of man. But before we get to the creation of man, we're going to see that he's going to create... Uh, Animals, And so let's go ahead and look at them. He's already got, we got fish in the sea, we've got fowl in the air, and now we're going to have uh, animals on the earth. And uh, so notice what it says in chapter 1, verse 24. It says, And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing, the, and beast of the earth after his kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. Now, I think it's important again, once again, you'll notice after his kind. You know, animals uh, reproduce, and if they're in the same species, they reproduce and they're fertile. If they're not in the same species, then they reproduce and they're infertile. They can't reproduce anymore. Okay, it gets a little tricky, okay? There's, there's um, you know, so we got to be careful. I mean, 
Uh, people say, well, look at how many different dogs there are. God created all those dogs and they were all in the ark. Uh, no, not, not likely. Matter of fact, he created dogs, but then he, uh, you know, there was only so many on the ark. And then they got together, hanging out, and just like teenagers and young people, they end up getting married and having all kinds of kids. And before you know it, I mean, there's all kinds of them. You know, they all look different. They, they bark different. They act different. But they're all still dogs. And, you know, that's kind of what we see going on with uh, the animals, you know, and, and that's what takes place. And that's why now there's so many different breeds of dogs, but I bet you in Adam's day there wasn't quite as many breeds of dogs. Probably not even near this many. Maybe, you know, but that's, that's how it works, okay? And so uh, we, we see that taking place. But again, after his kind, so important again, that, that statement. Now, we're done with the first portion of day six, but there's still a lot to go, a lot to take place yet. And now God's, God's uh, crowning creation. Okay, here he goes. He's going to create. Now, here's what he's been really all about. He wants to put mankind on this globe. He wants someone that he can fellowship with, somebody that he can interact with, intellectually address and deal with. Uh, he's gonna, man's going to be totally different now. Uh, it's funny. If, if, if animals uh, could have met the need of, in God, because God wanted us. He didn't have to have us, obviously. I mean, somebody, you know, what, did God need us? God doesn't need anything. He creates anything. But, but he created us to meet a need, I guess, in his life. But animals, animals didn't. Can I tell you, animals aren't humans? You say, well, I know that. But we don't, we don't know that today. We, we don't know that. I mean, let's face it, we dress them up, and we're spending as much taking them to doctors and hospitals as we do human beings. And, and we've got people getting thrown in jail because they supposedly didn't treat a dog or cat right. Now listen to me, I'm not about abusing animals. God makes it clear you shouldn't abuse your animals. But I'm going to tell you this much, if it's a matter of saving the seals or saving a human being, I'm saving a human being. That's all there is to it. And it just seems to me that we're getting all the things a little bit mixed up. You know, the Bible says that ultimately in Romans chapter 1 that they worship the, the, the creature more than the creator. And I don't think that's just man they're talking about there. So nonetheless, um, Genesis chapter 1, verse 24 this time, and God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth after his kind. And it was so, and God made the beast of the earth after his kind and cattle after their kind and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let us make man in our image now. So now we're going to see man come around. Let's make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Now God's uh, outlining now the, the, the responsibility of all humanity. As you look at this, notice again that mankind is being created, uh, the, the man is being created, and at this point it's man. Woman's not there yet, but he's created in the image after the likeness of God. And that's, that's important. We don't see that said about an animal. That's said about a man. And he goes, let them have dominion. Now, that's interesting, too, because later on, he's going to, you're going to see that male and female are, are, are used as them. So God's seeing something ahead of time. He's setting the stage now. And he's talking about mankind here. Let them have dominion over. And notice dominion over. Now, I think that it's important to realize this. When you start talking about dominion in a, in a human being, over uh, creation, or even, in a sense, uh, the element of dominion over mankind, there's responsibility that comes with dominion. It's not just, I get to do what I want, when I want, to whoever I want, how I choose. That's not what the dominion is that God's given him. He's saying, you're responsible to take care of, so to speak, the animal. You, you're going to be able to, to do as you please, yes, but you're also, there's a responsibility toward the environment and toward the animals that you now, uh, that I have entrusted into your care, so to speak. See, I think it's irresponsible to destroy things, whether it's our environment or whether it's animals or whoever it is, just to do it. I think that makes no sense at all. Do I somehow believe that sometimes we're a little bit overly oversensitized about that right now? Yes. But are we neglectful sometimes in our responsibility as humans to take care of the creation God's given us to be a steward over? Absolutely we have been. I mean, you don't dump chemicals into lakes and rivers and think that it's not going to cost us human, human life. You know, it's going to ultimately kill all the fish in the, in the pond, so to speak. That's irresponsible to do that. 
Yeah, but we're number one. We have dominion. We do what we choose. Yeah, well, guess what? Even in the home as a husband, we don't have the right to step all over everybody because God's put us in authority over the home. That authority requires us and demands that we have a sense of responsibility toward them to meet their need and to do what's best on behalf of the whole household. It's a responsibility we have. It's, it's not just the, the privilege we have. It's a responsibility with privilege comes responsibility. With authority comes responsibility. And that's something we forget sometimes. We want the benefit. We don't want the responsibility of it. So in uh, the creation, God says, guess what? You have dominion, but you, there's also an element of responsibility. Now, do I believe in the green deal? I think it's a, sh- a sham. It's a joke. You don't have to agree with me. You have your right to have an opinion. I have one too. I think it's a joke. I think it's ridiculous to spend 2.5 trillion or whatever dollars and only have 6% going to infrastructure. I think it's a joke, a total joke. But on the other hand, do we have a responsibility to care for our environment? Without doubt, we do. And that's where the balance has to come in. When humanity does something amiss, there's always a knee-jerk reaction And the knee-jerk reaction takes it way further than it needs to go. And that's where we're at today. Because there were some businesses and companies and people who were neglectful, now you have groups out there saying, we got to go way over here to make it up. So they were wrong over there, and they're wrong over here, and somewhere here is where the truth lies. And that's the way it is in every aspect of life, usually. It's that way in every aspect. Balance. Got to find balance. Temperance, all of these things come together, and so we notice these things. Now, again, Genesis. Uh, We're looking at uh, mankind, and we see that God created man in his own image, and in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. Now, we talk about that sixth day, and this sixth day is where we kind of park our, our car for just a minute, and we want to address, but we see that first work. And again, that first work was living creatures. And he says those living creatures were after their kind. Now, again, it's, it's important that we realize that after their kind, because see, we did not evolve. If we had have evolved, then it wouldn't be after our kind. We'd be evolving from another kind. See, I didn't come from an ape. Did you? Absolutely not. Now, I know today they're getting all smarter and they figure we're sick and tired of hearing these people tell us that, you know, we we said you come from apes. You did tell us that when I was in school. You had pictures of apes running around like this. And you said, see, they're standing on their hind legs. And that's what they used to tell us. Look at them. Their backs are still bent because they used to crawl on the ground. But then all of a sudden they show a man standing up a little higher and pretty soon he's standing up higher and pretty soon he's walking like this. You ever see those pictures, you know? You know what I'm talking about. So now they're, they're getting smarter, see, and they realize that people like you and I are like, we didn't come from apes and we can prove it. And they're like, well, we better come up with another thing now. They just keep changing it to try to somehow support their views. But that's really when it's all said and done, Darwinism is simply that you came from a lower species, not your own species either. See, you didn't come from your own kind, like the Bible's talking about with animals. And he even says about mankind, we are coming from our own kind. Adam and Eve had of their own kind. Had children of their own kind. Animals get together, and if they're of their own kind, they can continue to reproduce. If not, well, it doesn't produce anything. It doesn't even work. And of course, the uh, second part of that is that God created us again. And in this particular case, Um, that missing link, you know, from this species to ultimately this man. I used to hear about Dr. Leakey all the time when I was growing up. Dr. Leakey was looking for the link, the missing link. You know what the missing link was? Right there, (laughs) between the ears. Something was missing because it does not exist There is no missing link because the link doesn't exist. 
because mankind came from mankind. He didn't come from another species. He came from his own kind, after his own kind. That's the biblical truth. And so that's why, interestingly enough, we all go back, we all go back to Genesis. Look at Genesis, or excuse me, uh, go to Acts chapter 17 real quick. We all go back to Adam, but notice chapter 17 of Acts, verse 26. Paul the Apostle speaking now, and, and we're going to see him here. He's on in that, 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 that real famous message on Mars Hill. And notice what he says in verse 26. He's talking about, remember, the unknown God? And he says, you ignorantly worship him. And he says, I'm going to declare him to you. So in verse 24, let's just pick up there. God that made the world and all things therein. They had the same debate back then as we do today. You know, we're not smarter than anybody else. These people came up with the same kind of excuses not to live by the word of God and not to obey God and, and not to believe in God. They said, well, God didn't create a world. I mean, look, there's all these gods. We worship all these gods. And he says, well, you also have a, an altar to an unknown God. You don't even know who he is, but you're worshiping just so you don't offend him. Just in case you don't know which God you haven't. So like the tomb of the unknown soldier, we don't know all the people that are in the tomb. But we, we, we recognize them and we honor them so that we don't miss any of them. They had this altar to gods they didn't even know because they didn't want to miss any of them and make them mad. Is that crazy? So here we have these un, this altar, and he goes on to say now, he says, God, he says, uh, him whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. I'm going to tell you who the unknown God is. <laughs> His name's going to be Jesus Christ. But look at this. He goes on, verse 24. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he uh, is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. You can't confine him in a temple. He, he, he's not just a piece of stone or stick. Neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. Now watch this. And hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. You know what that means? What that means, first of all, is that we all come from a common ancestor. We're all one blood. Hey, you may have a different color skin than I got, but you're, we're still got the same blood. You may, you may have a different look in your face. Maybe you're from China or, and you've got eyes that do this and I've got a, a nose that does this and I've got hair that does this and I've got hair that doesn't do anything. <laughs> but you know what? My blood's the same as anybody else's around the world. You could be in the Philippines or you could be up in, uh, over in, 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 in New Zealand or, or down in Australia or up in Alaska, it doesn't matter. Your blood's the same, see? Right. When we look at uh, chapter 1 of Genesis and we consider chapter 1 versus chapter 2 because the, the accounts are a little bit different, we're going to see that those two accounts don't contradict each other at all. They complement one another. They they really do help out in the long run. Now, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, we already looked at it. We see here in Genesis 1:26 that it gives the fact of creation, that creation took place. When we get to chapter 2, God's not trying to tell us everything that he just told us. What he's going to do now is he's going to tell us the manner of it. He's going to give us something additional to it. So when you go to chapter 2 and you start reading about creation, it's not like there's two accounts of creation that are in opposition of one another. No, they're actually, they, they work together to build a better picture, build, uh, to create a, a more full picture of the creation. And so in this case, the first chapter, chapter 1, verse 26 through 28, uh, is, is really the fact of creation. We see him explaining that. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And then when you get to chapter 2, verse 7, go ahead over there, Genesis. We'll go back now to Genesis, chapter 2. 
we're going to see literally the manner of that creation now. He says, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So again, the manner of that creation, fact and manner of, they complement one another. They do not conflict with one another. And it's, it's, it's important that we always realize that. Anytime we believe that there's a contradiction in Scripture, it is literally something that exists between the ears. God is never, never, he doesn't contradict himself. He, he says things that confuse us because we are finite. He is not finite. He is perfect and he has complete understanding. I, I don't know about you, but as a child, there were some things I didn't understand until I got a little older. You, you know what I mean? I got a little older, I started to mature and I started to understand some things. Okay, I, I, life was totally different when you're three than when you're 30. And God is so far beyond us that it's impossible for us to believe somehow that we can understand everything that he says and everything that he means. We, we, are, we are lying to ourselves and deceiving ourselves if we somehow embrace the idea that, well, you know, I can understand what the Bible says completely. I know all the, I, I should be able to understand every word of it and understand how it all fits together. You will never fully understand this book completely because your mind doesn't even come close to comparing to God's. The Holy Spirit will reveal things to you and a lifetime will be spent trying to understand, dig into, apply the scriptures, all of that. But to think somehow that when you get to the end of your life, you'll be able to say, I know the Bible. In and out, I know it. Hey, listen, you spend a lifetime studying. Every great man or woman of God has gotten to the end of their life and thought, I can't wait to get to heaven to get this answered. There's so many things I can't wait to ask God about. It's not saying that we can't learn a lot about God's word. We can. And the more we put effort into that process, the more he'll reveal to us. And the, the better the word of God becomes and the sweeter it becomes to us. But there's no way that we'll ever be able to understand it all in the way that I think we'd like to think we can at times. Now, again, these two work together, and it's a, it's a wonderful thing how God works. And so you compare Scripture with Scripture, and you come up with the, 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 the not interpretation. So, well, really, you do, but it's not your interpretation because it's of no private interpretation. It's his interpretation of Scripture. When somebody says to me, well, I believe it says this. Why? Show me what God says about it. Doesn't matter what we think. That's why when I'm talking about uh, Genesis chapter 1, the day 1 of creation, day 4 creation, I'll be frank with you, I don't have all the answers. I'm not going to stand up here and try to believe, make you think I do. I don't. I'm human. I, I, I'm limited by my outlook. I want to study the Bible, and I want to know as much as I possibly can, and honestly, I want to know more than you. Not because I'm the preacher. I've just always wanted to know more Bible than everybody else I come into contact with. I think that every young man in this room ought to say, I want to know that Bible better than anybody else that I ever run into. Why in the world wouldn't you want to? I mean, if you've got a job right now and, and, and every time you learn something else about your job, you get a raise, I don't know about you, but I'd want to be the best at my job. When I worked at McDonald's, I wanted to be able to do a 12-6 turn faster than anybody else. That's 12 burgers. Six rows, 12, or no, six patties, two in a row, that's a 12-6 turn. And when you're flipping these, you're putting 12 more on. Man, I want to get fast. I want to be the best. So why wouldn't I want to be the best at the Bible? You know what? We settle way too often, don't we? But anyway, we see this. Now, Genesis 2-7 again. The Lord God fashioned man out of the dust of the ground. Now, there's, the work is threefold here, and we're going to close this down, but let me end with, with just these few thoughts. First of all was the formation of the body. The body was formed. The Bible says, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. He formed man of the dust of the ground. And uh, the formation. And then we have the gift of the Spirit. You've, you've got, and God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. 
Again, now this is not talking about the Holy Spirit. You know, like when we get saved, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. That's not the Spirit it's talking about. It's talking about that, uh, the Spirit of the natural man, the idea that, um, that, you know, that part of a person that is indwelt by the Holy Spirit, that's the Spirit that was breathed into man. That's, that's what we find here. And, and so when we're born again, the Holy Spirit moves inside the Spirit compartment, and that's, that's what God did for man. He breathed into him the breath of life. And, and, and then ultimately, the Bible says he became a living soul there upon that, uh, at that point. Now again, we're talking about God consciousness with the Spirit. We're going to talk about self-consciousness now with this soul. So the soulish part of man. So we got the formation of the body. We know God did that. We have the gift of the Spirit created within man, that spirit compartment that now must be filled. That's why every person has a vacuum that has to be filled. There's something missing in every single human being because they have a spirit that that is dead to God until they're saved. See, somebody, something's missing until Christ moves in. But then there's that soulish part of man. And man became a living soul. And again, that's the seed of self-consciousness. Nature, um, a self-conscious nature, which would be like your memory, um, your likes, your dislikes, your affections, things like that. I, I, I say something like red, and you think of a color. Okay, the color red, and you think, ah, oh, I don't like red. Or you think, I like red. I say chocolate, and you go, mmm, chocolate. Self-consciousness. The soul. So man now has this body now and, and, and this soul and this spirit. He's trifold now. He's, he's, he's tripartite, if you will, in a sense. He's threefold being, a threefold being. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5.23. We are. We're almost done. Just a couple verses and we're out. 1 Thessalonians 5.23. I don't know if any other verse uh, comes close to defining something any better than this verse does. And it defines uh, the, the composition of man. And I, I say man, I'm talking about men and women both, mankind, if you will. Notice 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul speaking now to the Thessalonians, and he makes it very clear. I pray, God, your whole spirit, there's one, Soul, there's two, and body, three, be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Every single person, human being that is, is tripartite in that regard, the way that we're described here in this passage. Now, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, talking about the word of God, goes on to say, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit of the joints and marrow. Did you see that? Soul and spirit and the joints and marrow. Guess what those are? All three, body, soul, spirit there. You see that? See, something happens the day that you come to Jesus Christ. There's an operation that literally takes place. And boy, it's a wonderful operation. And what it really does basically is it separates your flesh from your soul and spirit, which means you'll never be held accountable for your sin now because God paid for it. You'll pay for it on earth though. You'll deal with it, and you'll lose the rewards in the long run if you fail to surrender to his spirit, which, and, and you don't do what God wants you to. But let me tell you something. Your sin is buried in the depths of the sea. It's never to be remembered no more. Your motivation for serving God isn't to keep your salvation. Your motivation is because you've already got it. You know, we get a little nervous when we talk about things like that because we think, well, if people think somehow that their sin's really completely forgiven, then they might be more apt to go out and sin. Well, if your sin's really forgiven and you know the God of heaven, the creator of all the universe, and he's moved inside your heart, I don't know why you'd want to. And if you do, I would think that you'd want to get it right before too long because you'd realize you're making a real bad mistake, so to speak. So when man fell in the garden, that's when the soul became the battlefield. That's when sin entered and all of a sudden you have the body, soul, and spirit. You got that spirit compartment, 
now where Christ lives even, and, and even before that, you still have that spirit compartment. And, and, and so we get, we get saved and Christ moves in. And then we have our old flesh. Here it is. Still sinful. No good thing dwelleth in it. And then we got our soul. And in the middle there, there's a battleground, that soul. That flesh versus spirit. Conflict constantly. And that's the conflict that is described for us in Romans chapter 7 when Paul the Apostle tells us the things that he would do, he doesn't. Things he wouldn't do, he does. He's not justifying sin, by the way. He's pointing out a reality. And that's why you have to crucify the flesh, and so do I every day. Because if we're going to honor Christ, the one who died for us, saved us, who created us to begin with, then we're going to have to crucify the flesh. We want to honor him, we want to please him with our life. And so it's a big battle. It's a constant battle. I, uh, I'm sure that last night was a big battle for some people. Getting here was a battle. I haven't been out officially as a church out knocking on doors for the last 13 months. It was tough to get out here last night probably for some. I mean, it was tough. That's a battle. Question, who won? The flesh or the spirit? And that's how we make, that's the decision we make every day in every area of our life. Who will win? Will we let the flesh win or will we allow the spirit to win? That's a decision we make intellectually, we choose. So nonetheless, uh, we just see some things about creation and I think it's pretty neat. I'm going to get past all this so that we can end with, oh, wrong one. There, okay, so we'll end with that for right now. All right, well, again, what are you going to do with the flesh? Because that's the reality of it now. We're tripartite. We have three parts or three portions, if you will, body, soul, spirit. Who's going to win? Who's going to win? God created you. You're going to serve him. You're going to serve self. And it's just a reminder tonight that we need to be giving ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. He created us. He did everything that we needed in our life to make us clean and whole. And now he wants us to live for him. Father, we come to you. We thank you for just this time together. We thank you for the simplicity of your word. Lord, it's just uh, the word of God is, is wonderful. And Lord, it answers so many questions in our lives. Lord, help us to be more faithful in reading it and studying it and, and spending time meditating upon it and even memorizing it. It is sad, Lord, to think that we neglect your word as we do. And, and the truth is all of us could learn more. All of us need to learn more. Uh, the truth is we won't know everything in the Bible when we close our eyes in death, but we'll be reminded of it and we'll learn more as we meet you and as we ask questions. You're God, though. We're not. And Lord, I'm very thankful that I'm not really when I think about uh, just everything that goes on and what the responsibilities you have. I'm more than happy that you're God. I'm so glad that I'm just in your family. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of it. I'm so honored. Lord, may you bless us tonight. May you be glorified in our lives. And Lord, if we've even questioned your reality, help us, Lord, to really determine in our hearts to seek you out. And Lord, if we're not saved, Lord, help us to make a decision to trust you as Savior and Lord, to really allow Christ to forgive us and save us by asking him into our life. And Lord, we'll thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand, every head bowed, every eye closed as we get things started on our altar call. Gives you a chance to respond if the Lord speaks to you about something. Maybe you have a friend, a family member, a loved one you're praying for. I mean, maybe their soul is not